The following is a broadcast service of Kentucky Wesleyan College and WKWC 90.3 FM. Welcome to the Wesleyan Airway, a show where we meet just an incredible diversity of interesting people and talk about a variety of topics. Today, I am humbled to have on the show our Vice President for Enrollment Management, Dr. Arlene Cash. Arlene, thank you so much for coming, and and may I call you you Arlene, or is it Dr. Cash? Arlene, please. Thank you. It's great to be here. Wonderful. I'm a little bit nervous because I just found out that you ran your own radio show for a number (laughs) of years, and I do... 20 minute or 15 to 20 minute talk shows. So you, you may have to uh, school me a little bit as we go (laughs) forward. You arrived about a month and a half ago. It seems like yesterday, but yes, around July 23rd. So even a little longer. What I always ask people who are new to Kentucky Wesleyan College so that others may, may get to know them a little bit is, is I ask you to tell me in a very quick summary, how you went from birth to that chair. And, and so if you could do that for me, that would be wonderful. Let's, let's people out there know you a little bit. Terrific. Well, from birth, born in Boston, Massachusetts, and have lived pretty much in almost every region of the country. I um, went to college upstate New York from Boston. I was the first bust student in Boston, actually, in the Metco program. So that was my two seconds of fame on the New York Times page, <laughs> um, front page way back in the other another decade and um, I the went, early 2000s we'll probably say, no we're going to say the 1900s that's okay <laughs> um, but it was great anyway I have been to um Worked in all kinds of um, areas. I'm first generation. I was an Upward Bound student. I learned about college through Upward Bound and became enamored with the concept of helping individuals who might not normally go to college get into college. And that has been my career for 45 years. I've worked in New York, um, Ohio, California, Connecticut, Arkansas, North Carolina, South Carolina, and now the great state of Kentucky. (laughs) And here I am now. And that is great. And you are one of the few people I've met who have worked in more states than have I. I've been in, (laughs) I believe, eight different states. We won't have to go through all of them there. But you came to Kentucky Wesleyan College through uh, a pathway that many people aren't aware. And it was through the registry. And so you come with over 30 years experience. Talk about the registry a little bit, how you got involved with that, how you learned about Kentucky Wesleyan College and what made you decide to come help us. And we are grateful you're here, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Well, you know, it's a, really an interesting story because the, I retired, semi-retired about five years ago, but I really loved the work I was doing. I really felt it was meaningful. And it was a time um, when colleges were going through a lot. And I had all of this enrollment experience, not just admissions and, and financial aid, but student success programs, career development, areas where sometimes you just need to bring people together for for one purpose, and that is to get students in, successfully graduate them, and make them happy, make sure they're happy as graduates. Leaving the formal area, the registry was is the premier agency where retired individuals can go and find other work on an interim basis. Um, I was leaving a school called Notre Dame de Demure University in California. I was looking for another opportunity. I had three in front of me, and number one, 
um, my middle name, my maiden name is Wesley. And so I, I'm always attracted to anything Methodist. So <laughs> you had a great advantage there. Number two, I had never worked in Kentucky. And so that was great. And then I had an interview and met the president and some of the members of the cabinet. And the story was compelling. I looked at the website. The school's compelling. What you're doing here is amazing. And I just wanted to be a part of it, even for a small amount of time. You were gracious enough to offer me this opportunity. And I'm doing my best to fulfill your expectations. Well, as I said, we are grateful you are here. And as you know, and, and we've been trying to talk to the, the, the general populace, uh, enrollments are dropping nationwide. Right. The number of traditional age students is dropping nationwide. And then with COVID, fewer traditional age students are actually going on to college. And so it's a difficult time for everybody to try to make uh, enrollment numbers or to, to, to figure out how that model is now going to look. And I, I think you've been here at really a crucial time for us to help us through that marketing. And you have a strong team, but a young team, and they look to you uh, very well. So can you talk about, you've been here since July, how have been, uh, how have been your first couple of months? What, what, are, where, what areas have you been focusing well, the first thing I noticed was that we really don't have a message that talks about what really makes this college distinct. And so I've really been working on finding out what people are thinking about um, our school, how people perceive us compared to other schools, and how do we do what we do in a way that makes us really special. So I've been focusing on figuring that out and then getting that message out to the community. So we've expanded our outreach. We're having more person-to-person conversations. One thing that COVID did was really help us appreciate the importance of that that face-to-face communication. We really began to miss it. And so people do want to see our admissions counselors. They want to talk to us personally. Um, and so being able to have our staff out in the high school community and looking at post, we call them post-traditional students. So our online program, helping people understand if you're not in school, but you started school, you can finish up here through one of our online programs. Getting that kind of message out to people is also critical. Looking at our our work with community colleges, that's important. Making sure people understand we can be a part of your pathway to success. Even if we're not the first school you go to, we can be part of that success story that you want to have with your college education. So those are the kinds of things that we've been looking at. Um, expanding, understanding what our message is, one, understanding what makes us special, and then understanding who's out there and how can we help a different kind of community. Because like you said, the number of traditional students who are mm-hmm. out there wanting to go to college, that percentage is going down. In 2025, it's going to go down a lot. So we have to make sure that we're open and ready for the other students who want to be here, who are coming in from a more... Um, non-traditional pathway. I read a recent article that the number of traditional age students right now is about 16 million. Mm -hmm. The number of non-traditional or post-traditional, as you were calling, which Mm -hmm. I love that word, those who who are beyond a traditional age but want to continue their higher education, that pool is about 45 million. That's right. So you're right. If you, if you do not focus at least somewhat on that right. on that body of, of students, you, you're missing out a large part right. of the population. Well, and, yeah. and often they need the most help because they're starting a family. They want to better their career. They want to get promoted. And most often they've been wonderful workers, but they get promoted, say, to a management position. They've never had the training. How does that work? How do, how do we help them do that? So I, I think your, your discussion on that is, is wonderful. Well, as I was saying earlier, it's the only group of prospective students that's growing. It's the only group that's going to be growing. Right. So. And in Owensboro, I believe it is about one in five mm-hmm. uh, post-traditional students actually have a higher ed degree. Those who have some higher education 
out of that group, one in five have a, have a, a higher ed degree. So there are a lot of them who are interested in coming back. That's right. And I've also read, and you can correct me if, if I'm uh, wrong on this, but the majority of students who do online education are generally within 50 miles of the institution where they're taking that education. Almost always. And, and it's interesting because I think, as you were talking about COVID, they're taking classes online. Students are taking classes online, but they still want to be able to see a professor if they want. They still want to be able to go to an event if they want. That's right. And as we were talking earlier today in one of our meetings, the healthcare aspect of right. it, uh, being part of the, the uh, just the, the ambiance of what is the campus, even if you are online. Right. Very good. That's true. So you've, you've been doing this, uh, and you must have started when you were two, but <laughs> you've been doing this for, for a little over 30 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, what got you into enrollment management? Because for all of our listeners out there, that is probably the most difficult job on any campus. And, and you flourish in it and you, you smile through the day. <laughs> what got you into enrollment management? Well, as I was saying earlier, my career path began with um, a conversation when I was graduating from high school with students who were going into high school and talking to them about the possibilities of going to college. And these were upward bound students who didn't think they were going to be able to go to college. They didn't see it as a part of their future. The look on their faces stayed with me throughout my whole career and understanding that I was making a difference. That just makes that just makes me feel like my job is more than a job. And as long as my job is, um, it, it's where my, my um, avocation is my vocation. What a great life that can be. Yeah, you, you are you are entirely correct. And you talk about I was, I'm a first generation student myself, and I had no money, and I, I didn't know how I was going to get through college. And it was my high school cross country coach who really became sort of a second father figure to me, who talked me through that early part. Right. And uh, and I've had I've I've been. Uh, lucky to have great mentors all the way through my career. And even now, even at, at, at the age of 57, and, and as a president, I still have mentors, p- to people to whom I look. So in your role right now, uh, a lot of people look up to you, and they should. You've, you've had an incredible career. You've done wonderful things. Who are your mentors? Mm. Goodness, that's a great question, Tom, and I'm going to have to <laughs> think about that. Let me t- um, You know, I, I, I would say my mentors, I look back historically, so I, you know, She's long past, but my grandmother, mm-hmm. she's left me with so much, such wisdom about how to work with people, about things like grace and about things like um, patience and the value of them in your work life and your personal life. And I often look back to her words and her encouragement um, for me to be a professional, her encouragement me to um, step up when no one else is stepping up sometimes. And, um, and that, that's really those kinds of words, um, that wisdom, that mentoring has stayed with me. C- currently, there aren't a lot of people... That as I said, I've sort of retired, so I don't go to conferences anymore. Sure. I don't pick up mentors, but I will say I'm mentoring quite. I'm still mentoring quite a few um, young professionals um, from my past at this time, also. And that I I can see why, and uh, that's easy. It's amazing you talk about your grandmother. My grandfather, uh, my parents divorced when I was young, <clears throat> and my grandfather would give advice, which mm-hmm. at the time I thought was completely inane, and it's amazing how true he was, <laughs> but I did not realize it until I hit my late twenties, early thirties. And, and he was, he was a wonderful part of my life. And I've just, uh, through, through my stages, it's, it's just been a lot of fun. Yeah. 
talk a little bit about enrollment management and how it has changed over the last 30 years. And they talk about how higher education has mm-hmm. changed. How has enrollment management itself changed over that time? Sure. Enrollment management, the whole concept started at Boston College. And it was really um, the president saying, we have to bring everyone together to talk about our role, our specific roles in making this enrollment happen. Um, and that had, and really has grown from there. A lot of colleges look at vice presidents for enrollment management as super admissions people, and they're not. And so we've really moved away from that super admissions role where that's just the head person for admissions. They just bring students in to schools, to schools to a model where enrollment management leads the campus in bringing enrollment goals to their best place. It doesn't matter who reports to the VP. Some Here is admissions and financial aid. Um, I worked at a school where I had events, career planning, student success, admissions, financial aid, and the registrar. It was the same. It right. was the exact same because the idea is bringing everyone together. So that one team concept. We're all here to manage our enrollment. What is your job as a president? What is someone else's job as a career counselor? What's someone else's job as serving food in the cafeteria? All of us have a role. Somebody has to manage how that works to help our students come, be successful, and graduate in a timely manner. How have you seen that working here since you arrived? Very well. As um. I think, um, oh, I wrote this in my, my board report, that um, I was pleased to see the one-team concept already in place because at a lot of schools, my first three months is bringing that concept to everyone's attention. Mm-hmm. But it's already here. And so I found that people here are already very invested. Faculty come to me and say, how can I help? Staff want to know, you know, where can we collaborate? That's already in place. So my job has been helping people find those places where they, um, where they can fit and, they, where, and where they can help make our goals um, realized. Sometimes you'll see schools where everyone wants to work in a silo and no one wants to cross over the silos. I feel like we do have some siloing here, but for the most part, people really want, for enrollment, people are ready to come together. They are very ready. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that. That is a concept on which we've been working since I've arrived almost four years ago. And and people do construct silos, and not just here, everywhere. And and breaking those down is so difficult. And uh, you've, you've been extremely helpful with that since your arrival. If you had to look forward six months, mm-hmm. looking at your office, looking at where we are, what what is your greatest hope? And I know six months isn't a long time. It goes mm-hmm. by in the blink of an eye. Mm-hmm. But, but coming in from the outside, being able to take an objective look at everything, where would you hope in six months that we would be doing well? What what do we need to improve? I think uh, um, our, our strategic planning... Um, is really very important right now. We have a lot of great ideas of things we want to do and places where we want to be. So we know what the goals are. We know where we want to be. But we don't really have a strategy on how to get it. And so a lot of the work in the next two or three months will be creating strategy to go with those um, ideas. We want to... um, have a better marketing plan. Okay, well, how are we going to do Mm -hmm. it? Where will Mm -hmm. we do it? How much money will we invest in digital marketing? How do we work on print? How do we connect with high school sophomores? How do we work with community colleges? Not just doing it, but the how of it. And then understanding... Understanding why we're doing it. What is the what is the bottom line goal? Really having a common why about all of our work so that we're all 
we all have the same goal. We all have the, we're all rowing in the same direction and right. the same speed. That's so important. Right now, that's that that, that doesn't exist. We are we are um, wanting more students, and everyone's doing what they can to make that happen. But it's not as coordinated. So I perceive in six months that we will have a really well written, coordinated, strategic plan. We have a great recruitment plan. Let's put a strategic plan on top of that. I like that. It's it's almost like we can see the goal on the horizon. Yes. We just haven't built the road to get there. Thank you very much. So that, um, <laughs> I you, love you, that you stated it beautifully. <laughs> we are uh, unfortunately out of time. We oh my. are just a little over 15 minutes and, and that is the length of my show. Okay. Um, as a guest, I always like to give you the last word. So if there is a way you would like to close the show, now's your chance. Thank you. Well, first of all, thank you for having me here. And thank you for inviting me to be a part of where our school is, where Kentucky Wesleyan College is right now. It's pivotal. And I'm just glad to be a part of that and hope everyone is glad to join me in this movement forward. That's a wonderful way to end the show. Thank you so much. And we are, once again, I am going to stay so grateful to have you here. Thank you. Especially at this time. So for all of you out there, be good to each other. And most importantly, be good to yourself. Until next time, goodbye. The proceeding was a broadcast service of Kentucky Wesleyan College and WKWC. Cannot be reproduced, rebroadcast, or recorded without written permission by the show's host, WKWC, or Kentucky Wesleyan College.